Are you ready, Alex? Right. <laughs> I had to, I had my Zoom off for a moment, but I didn't think about it. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry, no, I'm recording. Fantastic. Good morning, you're listening to the Manchester Green New Deal podcast. I'm Andrew Glassford, and as ever, I'm joined by Manchester's greatest journalist of all time, never to be beaten by anyone, it's Alex King. How are you doing, Alex? I'm very well, the hyperbolic hype notwithstanding. How are you, Andrew? I'm good, man, I'm good. Anything hot coming from your end? Any pieces coming out? Any articles? Not from myself, but I did have the pleasure of editing one by Conrad Bauer on temporary accommodation in Manchester, Very cool. Which has skyrocketed over the last decade. I'd recommend everyone look at that on the Meteor website, which comes out, should have come out last weekend. Nice. Well, uh, we can link that in the show notes. Uh, The Meteor is really good. If you're in Manchester or anywhere, you should support your local cooperative media outlets. Uh, Let's crack on with today's show, eh? So, as we're trapped in Conservative Party work event governance for the next three and a bit years... Uh, local and regional office has become a strategic battleground for the Labour Party. Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, was hailed as King in the North for his stance on COVID-19 shutdowns in the autumn and winter of 2020, even some suggesting that he should take over as party leader off the back of that performance. Regional mayoralties may be a place where Labour can show that they are ready to lead the country once again. Fast forward to 2022, and a new mayoralty is on the cards, this time in South Yorkshire. As listeners will know, we think the time to act on climate change at all levels is now. So what can be done with the powers of the South York mayoralty? Today, we are joined by Labour candidate hopeful Lewis Dagnall, who's here to tell us about his Green New Deal vision for South Yorkshire. Lewis, welcome to the show. Hiya, I'm delighted to join you both. Thank you very much. So let's get into it, Lewis. Um, It'd be great for you to kind of set the scene for us. Some people may not know there's going to be mayoral race in South Yorkshire. They may not even know there was a South Yorkshire mayor. What's going on and why is there going to be a race this year for, for the mayoralty? Yeah, well, I would forgive anybody for not knowing. In fact, there wasn't a South Yorkshire mayor till about three months ago when the Sheffield City region renamed itself. The South Yorkshire devolution is, is one of the longest standing devolution arrangements in the country, but it's been mired in all sorts of, of difficulties with setting it up. And that's, mm. you know, in large part due to the to central government, to the Tories' approach of trying to divide and rule northern leaders and trying to have a piecemeal approach to devolution, um, which hasn't sued our region. But anyway, fast forward, we're, we're in a position where Dan Jarvis has been our mayor for the past four years and and absolutely, you know, fair play to Dan. He, he went into something which it didn't have any powers, mm. it didn't have any funding, and he sorted it out. So now he's decided he's going to stand down from the mayorality and, and, and focus full time on being MP for Barnsley Central. That means that, um, you know, Labour are currently in the process of selecting our next candidate. And it's somebody who needs to go in there who from day one has got a plan for how to use these powers and this funding that has been fought for. So it was suggested to me by, by you know, comrades in, in South Yorkshire that actually what we need most of all is a candidate committed to the principles for Green New Deal. So yeah. um, I was very pleased to put, put my name in and, and get to this stage with a manifesto that promises that transformation. Amazing. And and just for some listeners who uh, aren't from the sunny climes of Yorkshire like me and yourself, um, what what region are we talking about in South Yorkshire? So this is like Sheffield, Barnsley. Is this out towards like Lincolnshire and Scunthorpe or is it just around the area on the South Pennines? Yeah, well, I mean, originally it was meant to be um, uh, Sheffield, 
Barnsley, Rotherham, Doncaster, but also places like Worksop, Retford in, in Bassett Law District, uh, North Derbyshire and, and Chesterfield, and, um, you know, the villages of Derbyshire Dales and, the, you know, the yeah. Peak District. Um, but that's one of the things that fell apart in terms of the, and that was the, what they call the functional economic area. Um, and in the end, that was very difficult to bring that together into a single devolved authority. So essentially what we've got is a, a reconstruction of the, the 1970s and 1980s South Yorkshire County Council, just with a mayor instead of a set of councillors. And I guess it'd be, it'd be good to kind of enlighten our listeners as well of what powers will this new morality have? Because I know it has been different with each case. Like, you know, Manchester has, um, Andy Burdham has some control over various transport things. I know others don't. So what, what powers will the new mayor have? Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, like I say, it's, it's the piecemeal approach that the government's taken, whereby um, they've tried to negotiate on a case-by-case basis. I would say that the South Yorkshire mayor has, has a, a narrower range of powers. So actually, you know, the, the big difference with Andy Burnham is that Andy Burnham's got responsibility for health and social care yeah. at that regional level. Um, Tracy Brabin, elected last year in West Yorkshire, is the police commissioner for West Yorkshire. But in, in South Yorkshire... Essentially, the mayor is a bus and tram commissioner, and they're a commissioner of some adult skills and adult education funding and some economic programmes. Okay. And for listeners in London as well, it's, it's, it's worth us saying, all of the uh, metro mayors outside of London are, are significantly more limited in scope than, than the London mayor. It's the, the classic tale of anything. The politics outside of London tends to be, you know, a... Uh... A weaker form, but I'm sure some good yeah. things can still be done. Um, well, we're 30 years behind as well in their experiment in devolution. Um, you know, yes. we're 30 years behind uh, Wales, London, and Scotland, so we've got we've got a lot of catching up to do. Yes, definitely. Yeah, Lewis. So, so given all of that, what will you get done as mayor? Yeah. So, like I say, I, I think we need somebody who can go in at day one with a very focused agenda um, of using uh, this narrow, you know, relatively narrow range of powers. To, to the max. And so my main policy, and um, one that, as I'll explain, kind of underpins the rest of my approach to the Green New Deal, is to intervene in public transport and to end the failed experiment in privatisation that has seen um, companies like Stagecoach and First uh, cut, 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 and cut mm. services, workers' wages, whilst hiking fares and then complaining about their passenger numbers are falling, all the while maintaining their profits. You know, it's a broken system, and I don't think that you can ever rely on a privatised public transport network to achieve our aims when it comes to the climate emergency. So I'm going to use the mayor's powers to bring both the buses and the trams in South Yorkshire back under a publicly owned mayoral company. Um, and, and that's a you know that's an advantage in and of itself. It means that we can run public transport in a different way. We can have a streamlined um, system of fares so people can travel across the region. Um, I want us to have cooperative management structure. So you've got employees, you've got passengers sat on the board of directors with a special place reserved for elderly passengers, disabled passengers who are especially reliant and have got you know a special needs of using public transport. Um, so we can do it differently, but it also it's a strategic advantage because it means that we can we can have much more control. And when somebody gets in touch with the mayor's office to complain about the buses, you can't pass the book to the private operators. You have to take responsibility for it. 
Absolutely, yeah. And how is national legislation restricting public ownership of transport? How is it limiting your policy and how are you going to get around that? The Theresa May government passed a, a, a small piece of legislation which, which forbade local authorities from setting up bus companies. It's never been tested in uh, by a local authority. It, in some ways, if there's a sort of logic to it, right? What, what they were saying was Sheffield City Council, for example, can't remortgage its leisure centres and its uh, parks and, country, you know, and countryside estate to fund the new bus company that takes on stagecoach and first. And we know that the public sector can't, you know, take on the private bus companies in a, in a privatised market. We saw it in the 1990s. Uh, I think there's an infamous example in Hartlepool where stagecoach, uh, you know, in the, in the real Wild West days of privatisation, they ran, you know, a, a free bus service to run the public operator off the roads. As soon as the public operator folded, they raised their fares. And so it's wow. similar happened in Sheffield. One of the reasons why the Sheffield Super Tram is in private hands was because the bus companies in the 1990s deliberately ran against the, the publicly run Super Tram, ran it into the ground in terms of passenger numbers. It was offered up to the private sector. And then they took those buses off the roads and encouraged people to get the stagecoach Super Tram. So you know, this government restriction on local authorities saying of new new companies is a kind of a restriction against something you would never want to do anyway. Yeah. Which is to risk a huge amount of public money taking on privatized companies in a private market. Yeah. And they've got unlimited reserves. You know, if they want to beat the public sector, they, they've got unlimited reserves of borrowing that they can do. Um, we've seen it on the railways, how they put in bids to run rail services at, at crazy um low. Uh, profit margins and loss leaders. What I want to do instead, go ahead with franchising, which is something that Andy Burnham um, is is doing in Greater Manchester. It's something that London's had forever. Um, And franchising means you end that private market. Mm. You instead have a market in your public transport, which is regulated by the mayor. And that means only the only operators who can come into South Yorkshire are ones that the mayor's approved. I want to then approve a publicly owned company. And there's two ways you can do that. You can buy up an existing um, company off the market, effectively, you know, bring it back in-house after it was privatised. You could appoint an existing public company, and there's companies in Nottingham, Reading, Lovian, which are still in public hands, Mm. and you appoint one of those to operate it. Tory tried to put a lot of fear into people that you can't have a publicly-owned bus company, but I I really don't think it's uh, the challenge that people are um, worried about. Well, as, as someone who grew up um, in, in the middle of Yorkshire, watching bus fares uh, dwindle away from my hands as I tried to get to Leeds uh, on the weekend and not be able to get anywhere, like I think you know, a region is so rural like South Yorkshire needs to have yeah. you know, that kind of infrastructure. Absolutely, and it, it, it extends, doesn't it? And uh, as you say, it's, it's not just sort of Sheffield city centre, it's, it's, it's all these towns and villages around South Yorkshire, which without a good public transport system feel pretty isolated. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'd, I'd be keen to know um, how the transport unions have been working with you at the moment. I believe you've got the backing of the TSSA eh, um, for this campaign. So what, how's that relationship building and, and what have they said they wanted when it comes to you know, like a, a Labour leader yeah. in South Yorkshire? So, I, I mean, I've got the backing of... of Four unions, three of which you know represent transport workers. It's uh, TSSA representing all sorts of staff in the rail industry. As left representing um, train drivers, 
and Unite, who represent bus drivers in South Yorkshire and tram drivers in South Yorkshire. All three of those unions have are absolutely explicit. Public transport should be run by the public sector for passengers and not for profit. That's what, you know, that's why people want to do it. So my my dad has, all my life has been, uh, my dad's worked on the railways. He started as a, a, a train guard. He's now a train driver. And, you know, it, it that ethos of public service and of, of feeling that you're doing a job which is helping people, you know, get to all sorts of, uh, you know, help people's lives move about is, is, is really deep in people who, who take on these jobs. There's been, you may have seen, there's, there's been a, there's been a, a strike over recent weeks in in Sheffield and 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 uh, Rotherham and Barnsley. Yes. Yeah. With Unite bus drivers going on strike about pay, and I think that the, you know, they've seen their pay decrease in real terms, whereas like HGV drivers, because of the shipping crisis, have, uh, you know, there's been a massive surge in demand for HGV drivers, but the bus drivers don't want to, you know quit their job as bus drivers to go and work as an HGV driver. They want to be a bus driver. <laughs> they want to work as a public service in public transport. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I think that public ownership unlocks an ethos of public service that will massively improve services. So, yeah, it's really important having the um, those trade unions behind us. And also it's worth saying that, um, you know, as left, for example, like I say, not in some ways not directly affected by my plans because we've no. not got the full devolution of rail like they have in Wales. Um, but one thing that has left members have said to me when we've been talking about this campaign is if you can re-establish publicly owned buses and trams in South Yorkshire, that starts to build the argument for public ownership of transport more widely. If we can make a success story of this, then how can the government deny us the powers to have a, a public rail operator like they've got in Wales and Scotland in the north of England? Exactly. So, Seeing this as part of a wider campaign is something I, I think is really important for the, um, for the morality. Yeah. Um, to kind of like carry on in this vein, there's a lot of talk of uh, cooperatives um, in, in your campaign and your manifesto, which we're very keen on here. You know, we're, um, I'm a member of Red Cooperative. We do retrofitting. Um, Alex is a, we're both members of um, The Meteor, which is a, a media cooperative. So I'm wondering how you see cooperatives working in transport, in the local economy, in, in South York's? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that cooperation is, is a principle, a mutuality, a principle, both principles that we want to put at the heart of, of South York's economy. Um, you know, this is a region that has got a fantastic sense of solidarity between people, and, and I, I want us to have the social and economic structures that can bring life to that and let people... <laughs> like let people support each other. Yeah. And um, like I say, I I think that um, your bus service is is a classic example of something which, yes, I think that the buses would be run better under state ownership, but I also think that state ownership is just the start of the journey and not the end of the journey. And mm. um, you know, I've been a local councillor. I've heard people's frustrations about um, you know mostly public services that have been run with private contracts really badly. Um, really distantly but even the best public services you know when people's experience with the NHS for example people do still feel a distance and if if it's done to them and not with them Mm. and so that's why like I say I I think it's a fantastic opportunity if you're bringing the buses back into public ownership how can you apply cooperative principles Um, because you know a public a publicly owned company is owned by everybody in South Yorkshire Mm. but if you've not got 
them involved in the management. So I, I want us, like I say, to, to have from the top down worker and um, passenger nominated boards of directors and then at each level of, of management to have their feed in on decision making. The important thing is you find some way of having a multi-stakeholder co-op. That means that the stuff that the bus driver knows about how best to run the route, the stuff that the passenger knows about how best to run the route, is fed in at decision-making stage yeah. and is not an afterthought. Lewis, I, I clocked a couple of months ago that there's been several courier strikes in Sheffield. So IGWB and I believe Stuart couriers have continued to strike in January. Could you give our listeners a sense of what that dispute's about and whether the problems you're seeing in that industry are specific to South Yorks or whether that's sort of a local articulation of a, a broader problem. And finally, I suppose, to tail on to that, what would you do about it as mayor? Mm. Yeah, well, it's really important to raise that because it's, it's been heroic how, uh, you know, the IWGB members supported by, you know, the whole trade union movement in, in, in South Yorkshire um, have been out showing solidarity and supporting them. Um, they're, they're making an important strike for the for the, for the workers against um, a very pernicious form of um, neoliberal gig economy capitalism, and and it is a general problem. But I guess it's particularly acute in South Yorkshire because of the the sort of uneven economic development we've seen here in the last thirty years. So so firstly on the strike, right? Um, we've seen uh, Just Eat. Uh, everyone will have heard of Just Eat. Um, you know, as is typical of these companies, you know, they say they're this fancy, whizzy, you know, American tech, you know, style tech company and they're weightless and airless. Yeah. But what they actually do is they have some very hardworking people, predominantly BME, slogging their guts out to get food to people on demand. And during COVID. During COVID, you know. Um, absolutely, and it's a well, very hilly region as well, South York. So. Well, and, and, and yeah, exactly, and many, many of them heroically cycle up, um, you know, crazy hills to get people what they want, um, and and do it with a smile on their face. And Stuart, the subcontractor, because um, Just Eat don't take responsibility for their own workers, uh, Stuart, the subcontractor, has thought this was a brilliant time. At a time where we see a cost of living crisis, when people's home energy, when people's fuel costs go up, um, Stuart are seeking to cut the pay of the delivery drivers. IWGB members have done a very innovative strike in sort of disrupting in particular the relationship between Stuart and Just Eat and McDonald's um, and, and trying to problem, you know, destabilise um, that relationship to bring McDonald's' weight to bear on, on, on them. It, it, the industrial action is still ongoing, but it, they're getting great attention and, and really getting raising it on the agenda. Um, and it, it should be an inspiration to workers. You know, it's it's it's, it's really fascinating how it's happened at the same time that, as the United bus drivers have been on strike mm. and yeah. the lecturers in the UCU and the sports staff at the universities have been on strike. And there's been really interesting conversations between those three sets of workers about you know different industries, but a similar neoliberal management practices. And what I wanted to say about the wider economy is, like I say, South Yorkshire was, was particularly brutally hit by the industrialisation. Um, it was, you know, it was forced upon people at the blunt end of a police baton at the case of Orgreave and, and many other skirmishes in the, in the miners' strike. It was absolutely, you know, the South Yorkshire uh, and wider trade union movement that Thatcher 
had to destroy in order to impose neoliberalism. And, and since then, you've seen mine works close, steelworks shed jobs and, and automate processes, uh, cutlery works just disappear. Uh, you know, once one of the biggest industries in, in Sheffield was cutlery works and not anymore. And what you've seen in their place is companies like ASOS, you know, similar sort of approach to Just Eat, you know, online yeah. click, click and delivery, throwing up shoddy warehouses on the edges of town that you can only drive to. They're not integrated into public transport networks and paying people rubbish pay, terrible conditions um, to do that. Many of these companies like Amazon, you know, not even paying taxes for the privilege of exploiting us. And that model <laughs> has been encouraged. And, you know, unfortunately, the last Labour government, you know, the last Labour government did a lot of great work in rebuilding public services in South Yorkshire. You know, big transfers of wealth using through tax credits and other instruments like that. But they failed to grasp the nettle that actually the reason that people need tax credits in South Yorkshire, the people are, reason people are so reliant on public services because their health is so bad, et cetera, et cetera, is because they're very poor. It's one of the poorest parts of Northern Europe. In the 90s, it was one of the poorest parts of Europe, full stop. And that's because you've got this model of bargain basement, neoliberal economic development. And that's what we're trying to shift, you know, grand ambition. But that's what we're trying to shift in this mayoral election is to say, actually, if you don't have a short term, throw up this warehouse, create X amount of jobs uh, and say job done. If you have a longer term approach of community wealth building, you'll yield massive benefits in the long term. I, th- I think it's a good place to kind of move on to um, the Green New Deal uh, as, as a concept. You know, with a Manchester Green New Deal podcast, we would love to have a, a mayor who was so dedicated the Green New Deal as uh, as you, you are in your campaign. So what's your vision of a Green New Deal for a start? Because that is a contentious issue sometimes. And what would be like a concrete example of that being implemented to you know bring dignity and uh, environmental justice to South Yorkshire? For me, the Green New Deal fundamentally is a deal. It's a bargain. It's a bargain between the government and the people mm. that we're going to go through an economic transition in which the government is going to help people either keep their jobs or get new jobs that are better paid um, in exchange for the economic dislocation. Um, you know, that that's the bargain. We're going to go into an economic dislocation, but we're going to help you get through it. Um, that's what, you know, that's where it comes from in the 1930s with Roosevelt saying, right, Great Depression, we're going to help you get through it. And I think it's especially acute in South Yorkshire because of what I've just been saying about how hard we were hit by uh, deindustrialization in the 80s and 90s means that when you say to people in South Yorkshire, we need to get rid of carbon intensive industries, they think, oh, right, yeah, you know, like the coal industry, like the steel industry. And it brings back those memories of being absolutely left behind and uh, and thrown out, locked out by, by by their own government. And so if there's any region in which the climate emergency needs to be allied to a Green New Deal, it's South Yorkshire, because the only way we're going to get widespread public support for decarbonisation is by having this bargain that nobody gets left behind. And my concrete example is, is, in, is a group of workers who are represented by another trade union, which is backing me, my trade union, the GMB. The GMB represents workers in the gas industry, yes. you know, gas engineers who you know, uh, specialists in installing a product, gas boilers, which very soon won't be legal to install. Yeah. And if the government just 
bans gas boilers without a, a concerted effort, you can have loads of people who are ex. You know, I I'm, I couldn't fit a gas boiler safely. I don't have the knowledge of a skill to do it. It's yeah. a very specialist skill, and these people are going to be thrown out unless there's a a managed green new deal in place. So I see my responsibility as mayor is starting to use the powers we've got around um, a joined up education system around economic funding to say, well, actually, look, these are really specialist guys with um, with skills that would be perfect in, um, you know, green hydrogen. So let's retrain them to move from the gas industry, carbon intensive fuel to green hydrogen. Um, get ahead of the curve in that so we can have that nascent industry um, building up here and we can see a direct transfer of people from old jobs that uh, are being phased out to new jobs that are going to last for generations. Lewis, yeah, that nicely segues onto something I wanted to ask about energy. Uh, You've touched upon retrofit, home energy, the gas industry and the general impending cost of living catastrophe. What prospects do you think an energy transition in South Yorkshire can uh, afford to the people of, of that constituency? The, the current cost of living crisis and the energy crisis we're going through is, is yet another example of um, a privatised uh, carbon intensive uh, market, which, which doesn't deliver on your basic objectives. Your basic objectives of keep, you know, being sure you can keep people warm and not bankrupting them in, able, in order to do it. Yeah. Um, I think there's some fantastic work that's gone on across South Yorkshire in terms of community energy projects, which have been limited by access to capital and access to land and, and buildings for to put your solar panels up on. And so in order to, to support that and to start you know, local energy generation with clean energy, um, I, I've proposed that we have a Green New Deal bond in South Yorkshire, so a, a, a government-backed investment bond mm-hmm. that people who have got and businesses who have got savings can lend money into, probably make a higher return than you could on the banks in the current state of affairs. And that bond would then lend money to others in South Yorkshire to insulate homes, um, refit their boilers, put solar panels up. And I think we've got, like I say, we've got the nascent skills um, and cap- capacities to be doing that. The problem is access to capital. And so a Green New Deal bond is, is what I found quite interesting about it is it's, we live in a very unequal region, right, in South Yorkshire. Um, some of the poorest places, some of the richest places in the UK are here. And, and actually a Green New Deal bond is a way of creating a sense of mutuality between people at the opposite ends of that, of those who have money lending to those who don't. In this current energy crisis, you know, the government is rightly talking a lot about households and families. But the other big issue is businesses. And businesses um, are not getting as much support from the government as, as households are. And they and people are, and these businesses are going to be put out of business by the soaring energy costs. And people are going to end up out of work because of it. And that's particularly of concern with, you know, some of the heavy industries we've still got left, like steel in South Yorkshire. Um, We've seen over the last few years the combination of um, cheap, less good quality steel flooding in from China and high energy prices in the UK have made it a very difficult time. And needless to say, uncommitted foreign owners um, in the case of our steel industry here has been it's been a very difficult experience for the steel industry. 
in the long term, the way to get security for that industry is by, you know, publicly owned, community owned, green energy. And it, there will have to be some investigation um, in green hydrogen, you know, in order to get the amount of energy you need to operate steelworks and um, raise capacity of the uh, energy network. Green hydrogen is, is, is a really important thing for our industry here. And like I've said, if, if a Green New Deal can't address how we're going to keep our steel industry going in, in South Yorkshire, we're not going to build that support for uh, just transition. And there's all sorts of things that our steel industry could be supporting in terms of the just, just transition. Off the, off the back of that, Lewis, um, what, what to you is a green job? I think there's, there's two different types of green jobs, right? There's one which is sort of directly involved in, the, in this, like I say, massive economic dislocation, in a sense, of where we're unhooking ourselves from um, fossil fuels and, and, and hooking up our economy to uh, a post-carbon energy system. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, gas workers retraining as hydrogen um, engineers, for example. But there's other green jobs. Like I, I, I think that social care, you know, is a green job. Um, it's low carbon. It's got a place in the in the post carbon economy. Um, it's it's highly skilled. Yeah, yeah. Although at the moment that's not recognised. It's not got the qualifications and the pay that it deserves. And there's there's also jobs around, you know, particularly for our region, nature recovery, mm. which are kind of a bit of both. You know, they're not that you're not putting up wind farms but um you are doing stuff if you if if we help our uplands recover into the peat bogs that they're meant to be you're locking away a massive amount of carbon as well as providing you know essentially a leisure act you know you, people love spending their time up there yeah, yeah so yeah. yeah so i think there's different ways in which green jobs emerge and i guess as you were saying this would link back into retraining and education in, in south yorkshire as well so people who who were in you know uh, "Quote unquote dirty industries could move into this into these spaces as as well. Well, there's quite a big like you know national park on the footstep of uh, of South Yorkshire. So like uh, I suppose I have a bit of a NIMBY question about like development and the the kind of friction between the development of new industry versus keeping you know natural habitats. Um, what what are your thoughts about that and where where do you think that balance should be? Got a very straightforward answer to that is there is far enough brownfield land across South Yorkshire from our previous industries um, to accommodate the industrial and to a large extent the housing development that we need to see. Mm. Um, The people who want to build on greenfield, greenbelt land are housing developers looking for a quick book. Um, And one of the issues I put in my manifesto is I want us to have a land commission like they've done in Liverpool City region to map out land ownership, land use, and how it can be best used for social and environmental objectives. And our our strip of the Peak District in in South Yorkshire, it's crucial both in and of itself. You know, we need to, um, we've not just got a carbon crisis, we've also got an ecological emergency with the Great Extinction. And so encouraging the rejuvenation of a natural landscape is crucial for that. But the other thing is people downstream, you'll have, you'll, you might remember a few years ago, the terrible flooding in a place called Fish Lake in Doncaster. Yes, yeah. 
Um, and so people downstream from Peak District feel the effects of bad management of the uplands. Mm. So because they've been using them as grouse shooting moors, because they've been burning away the peat, which absorbs so much water, water flows off the Peak District at a, at a massive rate and floods downstream because there's, there's simply not enough concrete you can throw up in order to stop it. And so actually, again, you know, it's a national park. It's a nice thing to do. It's good for biodiversity. But in another sense, if you want to stop flooding downstream, um, you know, and, and flooding both in a flood event destroys people's homes and businesses, but also the insurance premiums can can destroy businesses and, yeah. and destroy people's. So if you want to solve those problems, responsible management of the uplands is in a natural nature based solution sort of way is absolutely essential. You touched on the Land Commission, and I'm really interested in that idea because that's quite a salient issue here in Manchester. Obviously, you mentioned Liverpool next door neighbours have just had one, and there's a really big growing campaign to have one in Greater Manchester. Burnham's promised one. He actually promised one by the end of 2021, didn't deliver it. Um, My question is, why hasn't there been one in Sheffield or South Yorkshire, I should say, to date? And... Just to clarify for our listeners, what would be the key benefits for South Yorkshire for having a land commission under your mayoralty? Okay, so I, I think one, I mean, one of the, you know, I, I started I mean, uh, earlier by talking about some of the difficulties that the devolution process has seen in South Yorkshire. And so I think that's that's largely one of the reasons why this idea has not got up to speed. Yeah. Um, but also, and I guess slightly differently, I, I think that our... Some of the issues that Greater Manchester, you know, has been has been transformed in the last ten years by um, a very ugly term that you sometimes hear used uh, of North Shoring. So you know, sure. getting yeah, North Shoring of, of businesses from London, and you've seen this influx of businesses and of individuals from London that have um, you know. So there's real issues of of gentrification and of communities being priced out of, of where they've lived. I have to say, our economy has not boomed in the same way in the last 10 years as, as Greater Manchester or perhaps, you know, um, central Liverpool. And so to some extent, we, we, we face slightly different challenges, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we, we face a more depressed economy, which I would say is kind of more similar to, to the northeast of England mm-hmm. um, than sort of boomtown central Manchester. And so maybe that's why the demand has as, as not surfaced in the in the last few years in in south yorkshire in the same way yeah but that i guess that's why i'm i'm thinking i'm making this pledge here you know you're talking about in greater manchester in terms of how can you arrest this breakneck pace of development right and what we're looking at here is actually you know we want to rejuvenate our economy Uh, we want to promote green industry and so actually we need to look ahead with a land commission to where is that best situated and um, the, the issue of a land commission is that, I mean, land ownership is like terrible in England. Yes. <laughs> we don't yeah, know yeah. who owns most land. It's not in the public domain. Um, you know, large swathes of South Yorkshire are still owned by the Duke of Norfolk, um, for example. And so that makes it very difficult to do rational strategic planning. They did it at the, uh, in the Second World War and just after the Second World War because, you know, they had to feed a population during the war. And we're going into a, you know, a similar sort of situation in which the environmental catastrophe means we have to have a very rational management of our natural resources. And so 
a land commission is, I think, a precursor to our economic rejuvenation plan in South Yorkshire, which can properly guide that economic development where it's needed and properly guide that nature recovery where that's needed. Um, I just want to jump back to the green bonds for a second. Has there been other examples of people doing this at a regional level? And is the, the power to do that an assumed power in the role or is there already like something in place to do it? Because I've not heard of any other mayoralties like, you know, issuing their own bonds. So it's something that's been done at a district level in, and there's been some very successful examples of, of councils uh, doing this. Right. In fact, Bar- Barnsley Council's done it in the last few years. I think, I believe this would be the first example of, of a regional Metro mayor right. doing it. Um, the power comes from, um, there was, a, a t- again, a tiny little piece of legislation that changed in the early years of the coalition government where they awarded local authorities a so-called general power of competence. And, and what that means is local authorities can do anything they want right. as long as it's not illegal. That's why the, uh. the, that, little bus, that little bus law was quite important because they, 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 they gave local authorities the power to do whatever they wanted and yeah. then they realised that, uh, you know, people like me would want to come along and set up a bus company. <laughs> they they realised um, they had empowered, you know, the, the yeah. London General Assembly again from the 80s yeah, like, oh, yeah. crap. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, indeed. That. And I mean, but this is, this is how, I think when the government, you know, did its deal with Greater Manchester and, 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 and tried to uh, have this process of devolution, um, they thought they could control it in a very controlled way. What they've done, though, is they've given the people of South Yorkshire the opportunity to democratically decide our future. Yeah. And you know, that's why we need a candidate like myself who wants to, you know, we need to use every power available to us. We need to campaign to get the government to, to, to relent if there's, any, if there's any obstacles. But I really do think that we can... We can uh, using ideas like the Green New Deal bond, take our future into our own hands. So, Lewis, let's say you, you get the Lib Party nomination, which obviously you will because you're a fantastic candidate with some great ideas. You get and you soar to the heights of South Yorkshire's mayoralty. Uh, what is the day day one thing you do? Day one thing we do is we set in train the process of bus franchising, what I was talking about before. Um, closing down the wild west of 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 uh, private bus market and giving the mayor powers to to run the buses in South Yorkshire. Sounds pretty good to me. Nice. Um, I just want to finish on on one last question. That it's a bit more general about politics, really. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair to say that the powers that be in this country seem to have a severe lacking of. Uh, integrity and grit and honesty in, in them. Why did you get into politics? Why are you running for the mayor? And like, what what kind of culture would you want to bring to regional politics? Well, I mean, I, I I've got a very specific. I had a very specific motivation to get involved in politics. Right? Um, I don't know. I don't. Maybe there are other people out there who um, got involved because of European elections in two thousand and nine. Um, it sounds pretty <laughs> sounds pretty specific, right? But look, I mean, Boris and his ilk um, are scoundrels who are playing with fire when they when they taunt the anti-immigration, they play far, far right tubes. But actually, in two thousand nine, we had actual living, breathing Nazis elected to represent Yorkshire and the northwest of England in the European Parliament. You know, pathetically, like sixty years after we, you know, yeah. after we 
kicked out the Nazis from across Europe, we were sending Nazis to representatives in the European Parliament. And that that was why I got involved in politics, right? One side of my family were Jewish refugees from Belarus in the uh, early 20th century, you know, so it's it's particularly acute for me that I did not want uh, fascists representing me uh, in Europe. But what I saw was, and, you know, and I, I got involved in Hope Not Hate and in other campaigns, and, and I think anti-fascist you know, anti campaigning clearly, you know, is, it's, it's really important. Yeah. But the other thing I thought, the reason I got involved in local politics, was I thought that actually the communities that had got BMP councillors, nearly elected BMP MPs, um, elected BMP members of European Parliament were ones where there'd been a crisis in their relationship with um, the Labour Party. And that actually the, the long-term solution to, to beating the far right and to shutting them out of our politics was to go into working class communities with a Labour Party that listened yeah. and a Labour Party that put forward constructive solutions. So yeah, so it was seeing Nick Griffin and uh, and his mate get elected in 2009 that that, that inspired is a, is the wrong word it shocked me into getting involved it Galvanized demanded you. that you do something i uh, yes. uh, i think that's yeah it's probably one of the best stories i've ever heard about mm. wanting to change something there's literally well, fascists it, at the door so let's absolutely go and, and, deal it, with and it. it seems like uh, you know and 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 it might seem i, I think hopefully we you know we've talked through a lot about these links i i think that like i say um if you go to people in, in South Yorkshire or anywhere in the UK and say, we've got a climate catastrophe, the solution is to put you out of work like in the 80s and the 90s, then that's going to breed the sort of resentment and, and distrust um, that, that, you know, puts great breeding ground for sort of Trumpism and, you know, and, and anti-climate change was a big part of Trump's uh, appeal, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and actually, the party that I think is, is playing with fire on that issue is the Tories. Mm. And we've not done a lot. We've, we talk, we've been very good, haven't we? And we've talked a lot very constructively about our uh, our ideas for improving South Yorkshire and Greater Manchester and, and stuff. But, you know, when I listen to Boris talk about everyone's going to have an electric car, it's uh, it's dishonest, isn't it? Because not everybody can have an electric car. There's not yeah. enough rare earth metals for everybody to have an electric car, etc. If you don't have a Green New Deal transition, people are going to get left behind in Boris's model of decarbonisation, which is a sort of pull up the drawbridges, you know, keep the climate refugees out and we'll be all right. And I just think that that is absolutely playing with fire. And if we thought 2009 was bad, uh, you know, the the sort of politics that will emerge from climate catastrophe could will be so much worse. Uh, Lewis, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it's really inspiring to hear someone, you know, run on a, a platform which is about you know, uh, generating hope for working class communities and building a world which is trying to make something better and sustainable and it's going to last a long time. It isn't short-sighted. So thank you for joining us. Um, how can people... It's been a delight to talk to you. Great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, how can people connect to your campaign? How can they help out? Where can we send them? Well, for the next two weeks, um, we're, we're in the final stage of the, of the Labour Party selection process and people can go on uh, our Twitter, Facebook or our website, which is lewisdagnall.org.uk and, um, and there's lots of uh, ways of getting involved on there. Um, if we're then successful in that stage, we've got several months where we'll be campaigning across South Yorkshire and there'll be even more opportunities to get involved. Fantastic. Now, this is the part of the show 
uh, for the lovers, the fighters, and the heels of the world. It's the shout out. So, Lewis, the next mayor of South Yorkshire, who is your shout out for this week? Well, if I am going to be the next mayor of South Yorkshire, it's because of hundreds of volunteers who have been heroic over, <laughs> over Christmas, in the new year, in, in, in our campaign and, and being so passionate. Um, but what, what's more than that is, and many of these people are involved in our campaign, it's, it's the Green New Deal, Labour for a Green New Deal campaign, which has laid the argument out over the last couple of years that means we can run a selection campaign on these principles that I want to say a big thank you to. Amazing. Uh, I, I'm sure me and Alex agree with that down to the hilt. You know, we 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 love Labour for a New Deal. You guys are great. My shout out this week goes to Yeb Sanyo, a Filipino diplomat and executive director of Greenpeace Southeast Asia. I came across Yeb when reading about Super Typhoon Dai, which ravaged the Philippines last month, and the advocacy work he's done for countries like his to be recompensed for these extreme weather events, whose intensity and frequency have been increased by climate change. Yeb's headed the Philippines' diplomatic delegation to the UN for a number of years, and has been one of the leading advocates of climate justice globally. He's clearly a really inspiring guy, and it would be great to have him on the show. My shout-out this week goes to an author, uh, Joe Glenton, and for his book, Veteranhood, Rage and Hope in British Ex-Military Life. Um, oh, Lewis is looking for it, I think. We are behind him. I've got Soldier Box by Joe Glenton oh, I on see. the bookshelf behind me, um, yeah. yeah. I, I am I'm someone who doesn't know anything about the military outside of playing video games, um, mm-hmm. and his telling of the radical history of uh, you know the military and what we've done to veterans and how he you know outlines how we could do it better um i think it's fascinating i think it's a really you know interesting insight into a section of society which is so valorized and yet torn asunder at the same time and absolutely he's, he's a hero yeah. yeah he's fantastic and he's it's honest a book where like it feels like you're talking to someone is is always great so uh, thank you very much joe um and to everyone else who's listening if you're doing anything to protect the planet and protect your fellow humans. We love you, we need you, and we hope you join us next week. Goodbye. Bye. We'd like to thank all our supporters on Patreon, with a special thanks to Barbara Burke, Guillermo Mund, and Angela Brown. If you're enjoying the show and want to help it grow, but not in an infinite ecological disaster kind of way, head to patreon.com forward slash mcrgndpod.